0: Hello, welcome to Incremental's Podrick the Podcast. You're listening to a very special episode from our new series, Exploring the Multiverse, where I, Maor Sadra, CEO of Incremental, host industry friends going through thought exercises in the form of highly unlikely what-if scenarios. Today's episode is extra special because I finally managed to convince Eric Sufert to join my podcast, after being hosted on the MDM podcast several times. Eric and I always love talking both hypotheticals as well as very likely scenarios, and in this interview we kept on course. I love listening and talking with Eric, being one of the smartest and savviest people in the wider industry. It's incredible how well he gets this market and where it's likely going. If you want to hear more from Eric, tune in to the Mobile Dev Memo podcast channel as well, or consider joining the MDM Slack channel. Channel, which by now has over 4,000 people on it. But for the next 30 minutes or so, enjoy listening to this interview. So, today is a very, 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 very special episode uh, because I have the luxury of having Eric on my podcast after I've been to his for like four times. So, hi, Eric. Hello, Maurer. How are you? I'm very, very well. How are you?
1: That's great. Um, I'm I'm fine. I'm doing doing well. Excited for this quarter. Got a lot of interesting things that I'm doing um, with various events, including a mobile dev memo happy hour in New York City on March eighth. Um, but yeah, otherwise, very. I'm doing very well.
0: So, Eric, uh, welcome to my podcast. Um, the The theme of this series uh, is basically crazy hypotheticals. These are things that will most likely never happen. So it's a really fun like thought exercise, but you know, I think we both can agree that everything might happen. So um, sure. starting kind of like with the first question, which you in a way like talked about, I think it's the least likely to happen, but let's let's see how it goes. Um, what if Apple basically says, you know what, we made a mistake, we're gonna revert the decision on ATT. Yeah,
1: so there's, there's kind of two ways to interpret that. One is that they, um, that they they basically declare att to have been a wholesale misfire to have been a wholesale um misjudgment and and mistake and that they just you know uh, reverse it completely right like they they take away the prompt they, they and they just sort of pretend that it never happened right and um and then the idfa is sort of like just back on the table uh yeah. as a tool, right? So that that I see as as um you know just just it probably impossible, right? Like I, I think they're they're too invested in it at this point. Um and, and so I, I just I, I don't I don't see that as as a realistic possibility at, at all. But but there's a sort there of another way that could be implemented which is that they just sort of like continuously soften the restrictions to the point where you know the policy um is somewhat like superficial right so you know they could potentially like change the language um in the prompt or they could uh just just somehow change like implementation policies such that um you know you 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 could like uh you know uh preempt the the prompt with like more more of like a forceful um you you know sort of like warning or something um, Anyway, there's or you could, you know, use emails or whatever. Like there, there's 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 ways that they could leave ATT as just like a general policy and, and really just the the opt-in consent prompt in place while softening the requirements like everywhere else, such that either like the opt-in rate approaches a hundred percent, or um, they just stop enforcing it, or um, you know you, you, the, the the there there are alternative uh, identifiers that evolve that end up um, being, you know, just as useful as the IDFA was. Now, I also don't think that's going to happen because you see, first of all, Apple just doesn't want that. Second, um, that it's not Apple necessarily, like, implementing these, like, restrictive policies anymore. It's the EU, right? And you see all the movement that's happening in the EU and and Apple's not really the concern any longer. It's the EU is saying, well, no, um, under the e-privacy directive and, and even GDPR, Ah, uh, there is no way to use first-party data for ads personalization without getting consent. Right now, there's all these other like in the, within the GDPR. There's you know other legal bases, but those aren't uh, those those aren't acceptable for personalized advertising. For personalized advertising, you need to collect consent. So it, you know, in that sense, it doesn't really matter what Apple does um, because the the EU is 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 sort of like they have begun to interpret GDPR and in kind of like the um, you know the. But-
0: but then let's, let us let me be like a little bit of like devil's advocate. Um, so, you know, we have the privacy side, but we also have the uh, anti-competitor and the anti-competitive behavior, the monopoly, essentially. E- essentially, like Apple's ATT indeed hurt a lot of companies that whose main business was advertising or performance marketing and so on. Facebook, uh, Snapchat, we just talked about like a couple of those. And so essentially one like hypothetical direction could be that Apple is forced to essentially level the playing field to everyone by allowing some kind of a identification on the user level, because essentially that's what hurt a lot of other companies.
1: Well, no, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Is is what the EU is saying. Is that doesn't matter. You still have to ask for consent, right? It doesn't matter. Like none of this is none of this is permissible, right? This is what the EU has said and made clear, right? Because they just had the um, the decision about meta using first-party data for ads personally so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like what what the gdpr what the eu has said or the, the edpb has said is that your interpretation of the distinction between first-party and third-party data is meaningless to us by law we've said that it's all bucketed under the need for utilizing one of these legal bases for uh for for uh, processing and i don't care that you think that there's a distinction between first and third party we don't think that. Um and so, you know, you've got to follow the GDPR. And so I so I guess my, my my bigger point here is like it doesn't it wouldn't really matter, even if even if Apple did the wholesale reversal. They said, forget ATT ever existed. We're just gonna pretend it never happened. Um the, the sort of new world that we're living in is more defined by the sort of EU interpretations of GDPR than it is by anything that Apple is promoting or Google is promoting or whatever.
0: Okay. So um Do you think do you think anything could basically Make this like let's say evolution of where we are today, privacy EU laws, ATT change.
1: No, no, never. It's going to get more extreme. Um, it's it's only going to get more extreme. I don't I don't see there there is there is we're just I think that's 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 the thing that people really need to recognize is like there is going to be a steady drumbeat of you know regulatory. Uh, restrictions. Uh, legislative restrictions, and I think we should all prepare for that, right? Forget about ATT. ATT is over. ATT exists. Like, there's no reason to be fighting it. Um, like I, I was actually like really disappointed with um. There was a a recent uh instance where someone from like a uh advocacy group uh at a big kind of annual meeting uh for that advocacy group, um you know, called Apple out for the decision it made to, to institute ATT and said that Apple wasn't, um, you know, willing to, uh, you know, kind of come to the table to negotiate or to work out a solution that everyone found acceptable. And it's like, well, that would have been a great insight two years ago, but that is fighting the last war now. Like, forget about it. It's done. And, you know, we're about to actually lap ATT to the point where we're not even talking about it anymore as like a drag on growth because it'll just be systemic. It'll be endemic, right? What we need to be talking about is not having a productive, uh, fruitful, you know, dialogue with Apple. It's having a productive, fruitful dialogue with the EU. And, you know, my sense is that like people have totally abandoned that idea altogether, but like that's where the next set of restrictions will come from or, you know, potentially in the U S too. But I'm, I'm less, I I feel like I'm less sort of, um, uh, I, I'm less convinced of that now, that there's going to be like a big, uh, robust uh, national privacy law passed in the US. But it's all going to come from the EU. And that's where these discussions need to be happening. That's where the case needs to be made that, look, the consumer benefits from a lot of this stuff. So let's make sure that we provide an avenue for you know ads personalization to happen in an efficient way that doesn't compromise personal
0: uh, privacy. So you mentioned kind of like, you know, things might actually go more extreme. So let's go for the next hypothetical, which is relatively extreme. What if Apple takes it another step and says, you know what, no third party SDKs in the App Store?
1: So that's that's a really interesting um, idea, right? And I was pretty convinced that they were gonna do that, like last year. I think one of the big calls that I got wrong last year was when I thought that Apple was going to block fingerprinting with some new policy or some new feature or tool in uh, iOS 16, and they didn't do that. Right now, they what they did do is they had you know that nice woman gave the talk in the developer uh, you know workshops, and she yeah. said, "Look, fingerprinting is never allowed." And okay, they they at least um, you know superficially addressed it, but they didn't say we're going to start punishing you for it. Yeah, right I now, I was point. I was I was wrong about that. I thought they would. I thought they were going to do that. And they didn't. I was wrong. Um, but, you know, blocking third-party SDKs, the way I thought that they would do that would be to implement, um, you know, basically the same thing that, that Google has talked about with Android, right? Uh, you know, which which was to put the, all the ad tech SDKs in this separate environment, right? The SDK runtime and and uh, and sort of severed, severed those SDKs' access to the permissions that the apps get, right? So that's the issue now, it's like you publish an app, all your SDKs inherit the permissions that your app gets. Well, that's not right, right? The user doesn't know what these SDKs are doing. They should, what, what Google said, the, the, the solution to that is we'll put the Ad- tech SDKs in a runtime where they only get very specific access. They can't just, they don't get like run of all the access that you have as an app. And in that way, they won't be able to do fingerprinting, right? And that, and, and what Google even said was, our first implementation of this Uh, is basically just to block fingerprinting. Like, that's the purpose of it. They said that out loud. They said it explicitly, right? I thought Apple was going to do the same thing. I think they probably still will. Um, So I think that's actually kind of likely to happen. Not not that they block the SDKs, but that they say, well, yeah, you can have these SDKs, but they have to go in this runtime, and we're going to prevent the access uh, to these device parameters such that it's not possible to do fingerprinting. I think they probably will do that. Now, what happens when they do that is that the bottom falls out of the sort of attribution market and everyone has to move to probabilistic, not what companies call <laughs> probabilistic, but actually exactly. like real sort of like, you know, uh, econometric models of, uh, of impact. That's a good thing. You should be doing that now. Why? Because this might work right now. It's not going to work in two years and, you know, and it's not going to work in Europe very soon, I think. And so you know you might as well prepare for the long-term future instead of clinging to this tactic to this loophole that actually is not that precise and doesn't really work that well anyway.
0: So here it's not it's not a what if it's actually a more of a win that you think.
1: Well, a win for who? <laughs> uh,
0: no. Yeah. If, so again, about yeah. so again, basically, if we say like you know, kind of like an M particle style, you get this, you get that your bet is not it's a what if scenario it's a when scenario to happen
1: right yeah and i mean it's it's inevitable right and so um who would win i think anybody that uh well look i i think advertisers would win in the sense that they would not be relying on an imprecise um unreliable approach to doing ads attribution which fingerprinting is Fingerprinting is not precise. You should not be relying on that for making business decisions. Right? It's not precise. Um, you know, you're doing overcounting. Uh, you know, you're 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 double counting your conversions. You shouldn't be relying on that in the first place. So, in that sense, I mean, advertisers win. Now, we we actually had a podcast where we talked about why why do advertisers even accept this? Because there's broken incentives all along the value chain. But nonetheless, I think advertisers, in that sense, win. I think, you know, consumers probably win. Fingerprinting is a privacy disaster. Fingerprinting's even worse than what you had prior to ATT because with ATT, at least you had LAT, where I could go in my settings and turn it off. Now you have no choice. Like, you're just getting profiled. Um, and they have no say in the matter. Like, that, that's a disaster, right? So I think consumers probably win. now, like, a lot of ad tech doesn't win, but they shouldn't have been doing this anyway. They should It was against policy, right? It's hostile to consumers, and it doesn't work that well. They shouldn't have been doing this anyway. This was a Band-Aid. And if they were doing it, they should have set a timeline on it. Look, you know, this is a Band-Aid. We're going to keep doing it for like the six months, one year after ATT. But, you know, we're, we're investing into the technologies and the infrastructure that's going to allow us to segue away from this. And they never did that because they became a crutch.
0: The crazy thing, by the way, is that, like, you know, theoretically speaking, Apple could do this tomorrow. Like, yeah. we, honestly, I, I, I think... when when ATT was first announced, I think no one was ready. Okay, and they gave like a three-month notice, which I think the enough industry pushed back, like delayed it a little bit to 14.5 rather than 14. But still, this was like out of the blue for many, many people. Again, I think you and I saw it, read it, but we never assumed the timeline. So even today, you know, the the policy already says you can't do fingerprinting. Policy right. already says it. It's just you not know, enforced, and, and, ha-
1: and it has since the beginning
0: of yeah. the
1: policy. It's not new, right? That wasn't an ATT introduction, an invention.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, like, essentially, like taking action could happen tomorrow morning, and then no one is ready.
1: Yeah, right. But yeah, I think so. I think uh, my sense is like that's not unlikely. That's very likely. I just don't. I have no idea when.
0: Okay. Let's go for another hypothetical. So this one, hopefully, maybe is a little bit less catastrophic, a little bit more positive, okay? What if Google, okay, and we're separating now the app stores and we're talking about Google, decides, you know what, we're going to encourage app developers and we're going to reduce the app store fees to 5% overall. Yeah.
1: So that's super interesting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they they reduced the rate um the take rate i don't think they would go to five but like that's that would be really aggressive uh and it would be really interesting so what i'd be interested to see what you know in that in that um where that situation to to, to take place i'd be interested to see how, how apple would respond right because they've they've more or less moved in lockstep on everything i mean they they moved them in lockstep with the initial take rate right 30 percent. they moved in lockstep you know uh, on the reduction to 15% for year two subs, right? Um, and then they've been moving in lockstep on the uh, take rate for off-platform payments, right? So, you know, there was South Korean law that mandated that these platforms, and and actually this law was directed at Google, right? Because Android is so dominant in South Korea because of Samsung. Um, it was actually like nicknamed the the Google something, something law uh but they mandated that you must allow alternative payments so uh you know google did apple did but in south korea they take 26% instead of 30 right and they both converge around that 26% right that's a that's an arbitrary number i mean that i don't i don't i want to say that they i doubt they communicate on this stuff but it's like whoever moves first the other just matches right and then in, in the netherlands with dating apps they converge around 27 again very like just just arbitrary number like that that's not a coincidence. Um, and, and so my sense is, you know, that might break the lockstep. If Google went down to five, I don't think Apple could afford to do that, right? So my point, um, you know, following the Epic trial was that, look, the App Store is the game store. Every other category of app that uh, potentially transacts in the app is, has a carve-out in, in, in terms of the App Store guidelines in some way right? So you get, you had the reader app carve out first, then you had the multi-platform carve out, right? Netflix for whatever reason, and this isn't even justified by the the, uh, policies, I don't think, has a carve out for allowing its games to be gated by the Netflix login, right? Which I don't think you can justify with, or support with any of the uh, existing policy, right? That's just a Netflix carve out. Mm -hmm. Um, Standalone game that you can't play unless you can log in like that apple's been clear historically that you can't do that um and then uh you know roblox has a carve out for streaming games where you're not allowed to launch streaming gaming apps uh but roblox they just determined doesn't stream games it streams experiences and so therefore it doesn't violate i mean like so nothing you know these now there's subscription you know obviously is is a big piece of the app store revenue um, picture but it's not it's it's not that meaningful right games is the vast majority of the revenue on the app store and and apple has to do whatever it can to protect that 30 percent fee on iap game games iaps right and i don't think apple um could tolerate a drop down to five percent because then the services narrative gets undercut right the services is supposed to be the growth vector you know obviously ads falls into services a lot of the content platforms that they've launched fall into services hardware sales slowing down right this year had a horrible holiday yeah. hardware sales and they need that growth and if they just basically took uh you know five sixths of it away you know that's going to gut uh, you know, app store revenues in a time when app store revenues actually were pretty much flat for the year anyway. Right. And I don't think they could tolerate that. So I don't think Apple could maintain that lockstep. I think they'd have to find a way to say, OK, well, yeah, it's five percent for all this stuff. But games IAP remains 30 percent.
0: So again, going back to the question. So let's let's go for for this. Like, again, Google decides, you know, what, we're doing this. Because yeah. in a way, like Google, like, you know, you if you, you compare, like, the same app on Android versus iOS, it's just a different experience. Okay? Yeah. And, and again, maybe it's the, uh, uh, what is it, the fragmentation of devices, maybe it's a, a bunch of stuff. But generally, it feels like developers are not putting the same amount of resources into their Android app versus their iOS app. Now, do you think, essentially, if Google makes this change, suddenly we see a shift of quality budgets resources to the point where developers start saying you know what i'm putting my eggs on android like i'm literally taking making more money
1: i think so i think i think so i think i think um I, i think that's already happened a little bit with att right so keep in mind like google offers just a lot more tools for gaming advertisers for android um right because they have the ads platform too uh and but i think i think you start you started to see that happening with just with ATT because it's like, okay, well, it's very difficult for me to distribute my game on, on the app on on iOS. Um, all And Android just introduced all these great new tools uh, that'll help me distribute my game on Android. Um, and so, like, why wouldn't I shift my, my development focus there, right? Um, you know, now there are hardware patterns that make that difficult to do, like, in, in earnest, right? Because, you know, the U.S., just became majority iOS, right? For instance, um, iOS just generally has, you know, better sort of, uh, you know, kind of average demographics, you know, empowering the monetization there. Um, but, But yeah, I do think you'd see that. It's like, look, you know, the take rate dropped by five, six. There's just way more. Now, does that necessarily mean that the development priority shifts? No, but the UA priority probably would right? It's like, okay, well, we're just making more revenue there on a net basis. And so we have more money to spend, right? If that, the second that take rate drops, all of that money that's saved gets reinvested into UA, right? Um, And that's, that's one weird thing that, you know, I find that that's, that's something that I find non-credible about the arguments against the take rate that well, this is this is this would if if the takeaway was lower, it would result in lower prices for consumers. No, the price is zero to begin with. No, no, no. Right? No one's going to drop the IAP prices. The IAP prices are, are priced for maximum revenue. Now, if you just drop that that fixed rate, that doesn't change the the, the logic of the pricing. It'd still be priced for max revenue. It's just that more of that is going to go to uh, the developer and less of that's going to go to the platform. But it, that the, the revenue maximization logic isn't affected by the take rate. So, okay, if I'm getting more revenue, what am I going to do? Well, I could just bank it, but actually what I'm going to do is, I'm. it's probably more productive for me to do is drive top line revenue up and reinvest it, right? Because um, that's going to grow the value of my business. So all you would see is the second that take rate drops, you'd see more money being splashed on UA. Um, and so you'd see probably that UA uh, focus shift to Android for sure. And I think um, then when you start thinking about the challenge of doing UA on iOS in the first place. I mean, it's become a lot more uh, uh, difficult just from like a, uh, a head count and organizational structure perspective to do UA on iOS. Cause you need to totally, diff- the team that you need on iOS now looks totally different than three years ago. You need data scientists, you need, you know, marketing analysts. You, I mean, a lot of companies had these before, but like, this is like the meat of the team now, because that's, there's no way to do deterministic measurement. And so like, okay, well, like if I can run like an old school style UA team on Android and also I can spend more there because they just dropped the rate, then I'm going to do that. And like, you know, you might say, look, the ability for us to spend on Android is predicated on, or sorry, on iOS, is predicated on us building out this team that looks nothing like the team that we currently have. Let's just focus on Android. Uh, it, and I think that reduction in the rate, uh, in the, in the uh, take rate, we're just uh you know it would it would make that logic much more defensible
0: by the way i'm gonna stop myself from commenting on the term deterministic attribution which you remember my my opinions against but uh, um so here i am what's the likelihood of this happening
1: um to five i think it's pretty low to you know
0: to yeah to 15 across the board means that uh, it's not just the second year it's just you know from now on it's 15.
1: I think that's that's I, I I see Google I I think Google could do that now. That would be like an active aggression on iOS. I think
0: yeah, and so there, sure. there there might be like
1: diplomatic reasons why they wouldn't do that. Um, but I could see them doing that. I don't I don't think that that's not that's not uh, difficult to to envision for Google for iOS. That might just have to happen. I don't know. I mean, it. I, I think for to fifteen to five, I don't think so. But to fifteen, maybe.
0: I could. So the thing is that, by the way, I think that if Google to reduce it to 15, it's almost not big enough for companies to really change their patterns. And by the way, 100% agree with you. And I I asked this question to a bunch of guests uh, in this podcast. No one believes that the user, like the consumer would be like, wow, suddenly my in-app purchase is cheaper. I don't think that would happen. No one does. But um, I honestly think like 15% wouldn't be enough. So if Google wanted to go into war, To basically win developers hearts, then they would need to go aggressive, maybe they wouldn't do it globally tomorrow morning Um, and again we're talking hypothetically in any case. So, if I would to see them doing it, they would do it in a country just to start off to basically see what's the impact like is this doing something before they start essentially gradually rolling it to the point where aggressively just announcing hey this is the new fees.
1: Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know. I think there's logistical issues maybe with doing that. Um, but uh, I think on the, on the point about the, the savings being passed on to the consumer or whatever, like that's just demonstrably not true. And, and we know that because there are a number of ways to decrease your acquisition costs. It's not, uh, or, you know, in- increase, uh, you know, the profitability of your, your title. It's not just the take rate. Um, if I uh, increase the conversion rate on my store page, that decreases my CAC, right? Um, if I find a creative that works twice, you know, is that's that's sort of twice as uh, effective at, at at generating conversions for the same like quality of user, that decreases my CAC. There's a whole bunch of things I can do to decrease my CAC and improve my unit economics that are totally unrelated from the take rate. Every time that happens, what do I do? I spend more on UA. I never thought, hey, you know what? Um, we just did a revamp of the store page. We increased CAC by 20%. Let's drop the price of all the IAPs by 20%. Like that, that, that wouldn't happen. That's not logical. That doesn't make any sense, right? There's any number of levers that a developer has to increase the unit economics, decrease CAC or increase LTV. And whenever those things happen, the result is that the developer spends more on UA. Like there's a lot of things that user that developer could do to, to change their unit economics.
0: Cool, Eric. The last question is the surprise uh, about you question. So, Eric, what if you went back in time and when you had this like fork in your life where it was like going into digital marketing as a career and something else? What if you took the other path? Where would you be right now?
1: Um. Yeah. Good question. I, I think, uh, there's kind of maybe two forks there. One was, uh, when I was right out of undergrad and I was in working in oil and gas investment banking and I was like, okay, this is miserable. Um, I don't want to work this much and I don't care at all about, you know, oil field services companies or whatever. (laughs) Um, I, I'm going to quit. And I did, uh, and that's very unusual. People usually don't do that. Um, it's it's very difficult to get those jobs. Uh, but I did it, and I went to go work at a startup. Now I wasn't at the startup. I wasn't working in digital marketing I was working in analytics. But but nonetheless, I made that choice. Uh, if I hadn't done that, and I would have just stuck through it, I think I would have gotten like addicted to the money, um, and uh, and stayed with it. I don't think I would have. If I would have made it through the first year and got my bonus, I I would have been on that career trajectory um maybe would have transitioned into tech investment banking but nonetheless i probably would be in in investment banking um the second was uh when i made the transition from working in analytics to user acquisition right which is user acquisition is interesting because i see it as kind of like a combination of analytics slash just analytical work and Digital marketing, right? So I see that as almost like applied analytics. Um, you're taking like you know your analysis skills and you're applying them to this this specific function. If I hadn't done that, um, I don't know. I probably you know that was uh, that that happened in, in in taking on a new job. So I got I was working as like the you know head of analytics or whatever at a company. a a gaming company and then I got offered the head of marketing role in another gaming company. And so I just took it and that was it. And now now I'm in marketing. Um, If I hadn't done that, I probably would have stayed in analytics, but I think analytics itself has evolved so much. And like these disciplines have kind of converged that I don't know that my life today would be very different. Like if instead of taking that job as a head of marketing, I took a job at another company as head of analytics. Like my life would probably look relatively similar to what it looks like today. I don't think there would have been a, a drastic a uh, change in in my day to day.
0: And by the way, if let's assume again hypothetically, if you could make the same amount of money in whatever job you had in the past, which job would you go back to?
1: Oh man, well, just from like a lifestyle perspective, um, my you know a time in my life that I I look back on wistfully is uh, I was right out of grad school. I got a job at Skype in Tallinn, Estonia, which um is is just a beautiful town. It has this really charming and, and pretty well preserved old town. I lived in the old town. I had an apartment that was literally across the street from this uh seventeenth uh, century church that at one point was the tallest building in the world. Or that's what's that's what's claimed. But I mean it's pretty it's pretty tall, but it doesn't I you know in the 17th century probably there weren't that many tall buildings. I can imagine that. Um I you know had a bunch of friends we Basically, I made nothing. I made no money. Uh, I mean, I made money, but I made very little money. But I had no restrictions or constraints with money because at that point, Tallinn was still relatively cheap. Estonia, um, you know, was 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 a a, you know kind of like a a developing nation. Call it. Um, I could go out and eat dinner out anytime I wanted to. I could go have drinks anytime I wanted to. I could. I had no restrictions on money. Had tons of friends. Went out all the time uh you know skype was like really good about working from home so like you know if i was out too late the night before i just worked from home the next day uh yeah that that was And uh, you know i i was my wife can't get mad at me for saying this because i was dating my wife we weren't married but you know we're, you know in a, in a committed relationship so like still had her in my life like everything was great um you know now estonia is quite expensive uh and i don't i don't know that lifestyle would be possible but but yeah that that if i could you know, freeze that moment in time. That would be the one. Um, although I would, you know, then I don't know. I would miss my son. But but yeah, maybe if I could no, introduce I him mean, you, a, Exactly. Putting
0: exactly. all
1: that, putting all that stuff aside. Yeah. Would be the moment in time.
0: Nice. Cool. Wow. Sounds like a uh, very good memories.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand and, and so this is, and then it all started going downhill when they adopted the euro. So I remember uh, I used to I used to uh, go buy tram to work every day. And there was like a little kiosk there and I would buy a Coke Zero every day. And uh, I on the last, so I don't remember when it started up the euro. I, I wanna say it was 2011, like January 1st, 2011, or maybe it's 2012, but nonetheless. So like my last day going to work for the year, I go, I buy the Coke Zero for whatever it was, uh, 12 crones, which was like 80 cents or 70 cents or whatever. Um, and then I came back for the first day of the new year I bought uh, a Coke Zero and it was a euro. And so it was like in that in that moment, it the price jumped from like 70 or 60 euro cents to a euro. And I was like, well, we're on the euro now. Things just got yeah. more expensive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of countries did that when they switched to euro. They're like, well, we're not going to bother with like a currency exchange. You know, it's just this is the new number. Good right, luck.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. So, Eric, thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure to have you finally on my podcast. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you soon enough in GVC, I guess. I'll I'll
1: be at GVC probably for just a day or two, um, but then MAU in May for sure. MAU for sure. All right. right. See you there. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye-bye.